reason we will all just be groomed to rock solid truth, and I'm so glad that each and every one of you have joined with us tonight. Amen for the rock solid truth broadcast. What a blessing that it is. I pray that you are walking in the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ, walking as a victor, victor, not a victim. He said that you are more than conquerors, and we thank God for that, that we can walk in the power and the might of all that he has given and all that he has provided for you and I. If you've got your Bibles, please turn to Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. We are into our series, Bounding in the Power of the Holy Ghost. And I've got some important things that I want to relate to you tonight and bring to you and and be able to minister to each and every one of you with the Word of God. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Let us pray. I don't want to thank you and praise you today that the mighty name of Jesus Christ shall be exalted. I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in the midst of your people. I thank you for Rock Solid Truth. I thank you for the for the presence that Rock Solid Truth is making with people on Facebook, people on the Internet, people on the website. I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you, Lord, for the church that you're going to be building, and I thank you, Lord, for that work that is being done in Africa, India, Costa Rica, Jamaica. I just thank you, Lord, for that word which is taking place. I ask you now, Lord, that every word that I speak tonight shall it find a place of planning that will give you all the praise and all of the glory and all of God's people said. Amen. Most people believe that condemnation is a part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Most people believe that it's the Holy Spirit that makes us feel miserable, makes us feel unworthy. It's the Holy Spirit that brings condemnation whenever we do something wrong. And you know, it's kind of amazing because the Word of God tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that we are to have no condemnation if we are in Christ Jesus. That's what the Word tells us. And yet we've been taught that it's the Holy Ghost that brings that condemnation and brings that shame. And I know that that is not a prevalent principle in all churches. But for the most part, that's what most of God's people believe. They believe that the Holy Ghost is the one that makes them miserable. Whenever they do something wrong, the travailing, the weeping, they believe it's the Holy Ghost that's doing that, bringing us to the place where we become and stay right with God. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. I don't know how it can be any clearer than that. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. If we are to have no condemnation in our relationship with the Lord, why then do we walk in condemnation and unworthiness? If we're to have no condemnation, 
in our relationship with the Lord, why do we allow it to take place in our lives? Why is our lives tormented by that which is not supposed to be in our lives? Let me go one step further. Why is our conscience not purged from dead works as the Word of God proclaims? Because the Word of God proclaims that we're supposed to be purged from our conscience, from dead works, if we're truly born again. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without fight to God, watch this now, watch what it says, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. I mean, these are some some, some these are some tremendous questions that every born of God should be asking. Every individual born of God should be asking these questions. If we are really desiring to go into relationship concerning the truth of God's Word, and if we're truly wanting relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, why are we allowing these things to take place in our lives? Because here's the reality. Every person on planet Earth, every person in this world, has to deal with condemnation. And why does condemnation come? Condemnation comes from our heart and our conscience. And until you come into revelation knowledge concerning the Word of God, you're never, ever going to be free from it. Until you come into revelation knowledge concerning the Word of God, until you come to the place where you understand that it's not supposed to be in your life, until you come to that revelation knowledge, you're never going to be free from it. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 19. 1 John chapter 3, verse 19. And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. The Word of God is showing you and I what we must do in order to be free from condemnation. What is it that we must do? We must assure our hearts that you are in the truth. As you stand in the presence of him as your Lord and Savior, as you walk in your daily life with your Lord and Savior, the Word of God is telling you that you must assure your heart before Him that you are in truth. Here's what you've got to do. You've got to convince your heart. You've got to convince your emotions, your soul, your mind, your conscience, that you are of the truth and that you are in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ in truth. Because it's the truth that makes you free. The Word of God reveals to you the truth of God's Word. And the truth makes you free. 
And your job as a born-again child of God is to convince the other two-thirds of you that the one-third of you that is born again is in truth, according to the Word of God. I think I need to say that again. Your job, and I say your job, your responsibility is to convince the other two-thirds of you that the one-third of you that is born again in truth, according to the Word of God. I'll say it again. The Word of God reveals to you truth, and truth makes you free. The Word of God is telling you and I that we must assure our hearts of truth before Him. So what is it that's going to condemn you? Your conscience. Now, I'm going to make a radical statement here. But I believe it with all of my heart because I believe it according to the Word of God. I do not believe that God created man in his original state in the Garden of Eden with the conscience. I know that's a radical statement. I know that. Let me say it again so that you have understanding. I do not believe that God created man in his original state in the Garden of Eden with the conscience. I do not believe that God placed this intuitive knowledge of right and wrong on the inside of Adam and Eve in their original state. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, notice what this tree of good and evil gives out. This tree of good and evil gives out knowledge of good and evil. You see, I do not believe that they had this knowledge until they ate of this tree. I don't believe that God gave them that knowledge because the only thing that God had given to them was his goodness and the goodness of everything that he was. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. What the scripture is really saying is that when you eat of that tree, something is going to die. Something is going to die when you eat of this tree that gives you knowledge of good and evil. What died? The realization, the 100% acknowledgement of the goodness of God, the love of God, the wonderment of God, the ability to walk in the cool of the evening in relationship without guilt, without condemnation, without unworthiness, without the knowledge of good 
and evil. Or without the knowledge of evil or being evil. Because they didn't have that knowledge before they partook of that tree. Look what Satan entices Eve with. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God, know, for God doth know in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be God, knowing good and evil. For you know that the day that you eat of this tree, your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be what? You shall be as God, knowing good and evil. When God created Adam and Eve, they did not know good and evil. They only knew good. Genesis chapter 3, verse 22. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. So hear me. What was the first thing that Adam and Eve did after eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil when God came upon the scene? They ran and hid. This is Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Why did they run? Why did they hide when they heard the voice of the Lord in the garden? I'll tell you why. Because they felt condemned. They felt guilty. They felt unworthy. Why? Because they're now walking in the knowledge of good and evil. And they now have a conscience. Because it's only the conscience that is able to evaluate good and evil. I'll say that again. It is only the conscience that is able to evaluate good and evil. I believe that the product of the tree of good and evil was the conscience. The conscience is a product of the fall. As every tree in the garden gave forth its fruit of its kind, I believe the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I believe that fruit was the conscience. Powerful. Now hear me. The reason that we have a conscience is because we desire to have knowledge concerning good and evil. 
And when I say that we desired it, Adam and Eve desired it. God only wanted us to know good. What an awesome and loving God that he is. He only wanted us to know good. But we, his creation, wanted to partake of that tree. We wanted to be like God. When the conscience becomes part of us, what did man do? He began comparing what is right and what is wrong. He began comparing, is this person right? Is that person wrong? Is this right to do or is that wrong to do? Man began evaluating. Everything on the basis of that which he felt was right or that which he felt was wrong. God's relationship with man in the beginning was not based upon that. It was not based upon what was right or what was wrong. It was only based upon that which was good. What a tremendous truth. Let me show you some things concerning the concepts. Titus chapter 1, verse 15. Titus chapter 1, verse 15. Unto the pure all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. So according to the word of God, the conscience can be defiled. Look at First Timothy chapter four, chapter four, verse two. First Timothy chapter four, verse two. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. So according to the word of God, your conscience can be seared with a hot iron, or in other words, your life can be a life of hypocrisy. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Your conscience can be evil. Your conscience can condemn you when there's nothing to condemn you about. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. First Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. How that there is not in every man that knowledge. For some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. You see, what I've showed you in the last couple of minutes is the reason that when we become born again, our conscience must be pured, purged from dead work. Let me say it again. 
This is the reason that our conscience must be purged from dead works, as stated in Hebrews 9.14. You know, let's just read it again, even though we've read it once. Hebrews 9.14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, offered himself without spot to God? Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. You see, in order to serve the living God, free from condemnation and free from unworthiness, your conscience has to be purged. In the Old Testament, that's what the law did. That's what the Ten Commandments did. They condemned you. It was a ministry of death. A ministry of condemnation. Why? To drive you to your knees. To make you understand that you cannot approach God in your own merits. The law screamed at your conscience. The law stabbed your conscience to bring you back to a standard of right and wrong. That ministry of death when it did that, the law, when it stabbed your conscience to bring you back to a standard of right and wrong, then it was a good thing. It was a positive thing. Then it brought you to a place with God, but not a place in God. When you come to the Lord Jesus Christ now, that place in God, that relationship in God, if you do not allow your conscience to be purged, then your relationship with God is going to be tormented and hindered because of dead works. That which was positive in the Old Testament is negative in the New Testament. Let me say it again. That which was positive in the Old Testament when it drove you to your knees, that ministry of condemnation, it was a good thing in the Old Testament. But it's negative in the New Testament. When your conscience has been purged in the New Testament, then you know that God is pleased with you. Then you know that you are in right standing with God. You know that you are righteous. You know that you are holy. Because of what Jesus Christ has done, even though you may stumble, trip, and fail, and fall, you still know that you're all right, even though you're not doing everything right. But you're still in right standing. And the Holy Spirit is always ready and willing to show you your place in relationship. Not condemn you. And what religion has done is to take Old Testament law and mix it with New Testament grace and has embraced this negative condemning action and placed it on the function of the Holy Spirit. The reason that you feel condemned is not because of God. 
It's not God. It's because your conscience is unpurged. This is powerful what I'm giving to you. Look at Romans chapter 2, verse 14. Romans 2.14. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the mean while accusing or else excusing one another. This verse of Scripture is verification that your conscience is the part of you that accuses you or excuses you. Or if you would like to say it according to 1 John 3.21, it states like this. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence towards God. Our conscience either condemns us or gives us confidence towards God. And because your conscience will not give you confidence naturally, you have to assure it that you're in truth. And you have to begin to make it start functioning in a positive way according to the Word of God. Let me say that again. Because your conscience will not give you confidence naturally, you have to assure your conscience and your heart that you are in truth. And you need to start making it function in a positive way according to the Word of God. This is heart-level transformation or the renewing of the mind. Father, I want to thank you and praise you today for your word. What an awesome word that it was. I pray that each and every person that is on this line tonight should come into the power of these words. Lord, you said in John 6.63 that the words that I speak, they are spirit and they are life. And I pray right now that every word that is spoken shall find a place of planning and bring forth victory in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. I hope that you're having a blessed day, and I hope you have a blessed night tonight. I pray that the Word of God shall go forth in the power and the victory that God intended it to do in your life. This is D.K. Grooms with Rock Tower Two Fly. Go with God, and I guarantee you, He will surely go with you. Praise the name of the Lord, this is D.K. Grooms with Rock Solid Truth Live. I'm so glad that each and every one of you have joined with us today for the Rock Solid Truth broadcast. We praise the Lord that you have been walking in the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ today, walking as victors and not as victims, more than a conqueror, going through your lives and going through the day. Amen. Rejoicing and glorifying in all that is given to you and I as children of God. If you have your Bible, please turn to Romans chapter 15, verse 13. 
Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Let us pray. Father, I want to thank you and praise you in the blessed name of your Son, Jesus Christ. We'll give you all the praise and all the glory. Thanking you and praising you for your hope, for what you're doing in our lives, Lord. We'll give you all the praise in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 1, if you will, please. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The Word of God is showing us here, without a shadow of a doubt, that you and I as children of God are not to walk in condemnation. There is to be no condemnation within our lives. And yet, multitudes of people believe that the Holy Spirit is the accuser and not the extension of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many people believe that the Holy Ghost is the one who makes us miserable when we fail miserably. I have literally heard people pray and tell the Holy Ghost to go after the ones that are drinking, smoking, to go after them and to make them miserable so that they can walk in the promise of salvation. The Holy Ghost is not the accuser. The Holy Ghost is the exact replica of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 19. The Word of God shows us that condemnation, shame, insecurities, yes, they come from the devil, but they also come from our own heart. 1 John chapter 3, verse 19. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Simply put, you and I as children of God are to assure our hearts before him. We are to assure our hearts to him that we are walking in truth, that we are to assure our hearts that we are in right relationship with him. If you leave your heart to itself, it will condemn you. Assurance is not the natural function of your heart. The natural function of your heart is condemnation. Look at verse 20. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. The scripture shows you that condemnation can come from your heart and that the source is of condemnation and unworthiness and guilt and shame, does not come from God. God does not do that. It comes from our heart. And yet the majority of God's people feel that it's the Holy Spirit that's doing all of these things. And and the reason that they feel this way is because the church has represented him, has represented the Holy Ghost as the accuser instead of as the comforter. The Word of God calls the Holy Spirit 
the Comforter. Jesus said, I will send another Comforter, one just like me. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us? This verse of Scripture asks the question, who is it that condemns? Is it Christ that died for our sins? Is it Christ that rose again from the dead to bring us the victory that maketh intercession for us? John chapter 3, verse 17. For God sent his Son into the world, for God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. Wow, what a powerful word. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Christ did not come to condemn. I showed this to you last week. He came to reconcile. And when Christ said, I'm sending another comforter to you, that means that he's sending another one of the exact kind as himself. What a powerful word. Christ has come to reconcile the world to himself. The Holy Spirit has come to reconcile the world unto Christ. Christ came to save the world. The Holy Spirit has come to point the world to Jesus Christ so that they might be saved. Christ came to give us confidence. The Holy Ghost has come to bring confidence. As Christ came to bring assurance and victory, so the Holy Spirit has come to bring forth assurance and victory through Jesus Christ. What a powerful word. There is a place for unworthiness. There is a place for condemnation. There is a place for guilt and shame. But it's not supposed to go beyond salvation. Condemnation and unworthiness, guilt and shame should point you to Christ. But it should not be part of your relationship in Christ. The negative part of your heart and your conscience is that's the source of all condemnation. It is not what the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit functions and operates in. Look at first John chapter three, verse twenty one. First John chapter three, verse twenty one. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence towards God. What a powerful word. If our heart condemns us not, then the word of God tells us that we have confidence towards God. Your heart does not have the capacity to project anything other than that which is through your performance, and it does not have the capacity to bring you to and bring you up to a higher level. 
I need to say that again. Your heart does not have the capacity to project anything other than that which is through performance, and it does not have the capacity to bring you to a higher level. Your heart only has the capacity to deal in the past and to deal with your experience and to deal with your performance. When you see yourself as being a failure, when you see yourself as being a loser, as being dysfunctional, when you see your past experiences as losing out, as missing the boat, as being a failure, then your heart is going to condemn you and reaffirm that you are, in fact, a loser. And when a new opportunity comes to your heart, it's not going to be there to encourage you to be all that you can be or to encourage you to go forward. No, what your heart's going to do is going to relate back to your failures and your disappointments that have come forth out of your past. That's why so people, so many people, when they, when their marriage failed, when their, uh, when things happen in their childhood, when uh, things take place and, and they lose their job, when a new confidence comes up, they they lose their sight, they lose their sight in that, because their heart does not have that capacity to lift them past that. Your heart is going to tell that tell you that. You've tried this before. It didn't work then, and it's not going to work now. That's what your heart will tell you. And if you do not know how to go beyond the condemning part of your heart, then you're not going to be able to walk in the confidence towards God according to his word. I don't know how many people that I know who have had a condemning mother or a condemning father or have condemning siblings, and they've lived with that all of their life simply because their heart is not able to take them past that. The reason that I stand in this place, because I have had those experiences, is because I have assured my heart in truth before him. I've come to the understanding that condemnation keeps me away from the very thing that I need most in relationship. And what is it that I need most? Confidence. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 22. First John chapter 3, verse 22. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him. Because we keep his commandment, and we do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Well, here's a question. How do we know that, and how do we know what we are doing is pleasing in his sight? How do we know that we are keeping his commandments? One word. Confidence. Look at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we? If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Let me read it again. 
but Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we? We, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Who is going to walk in this except the one who has confidence? That you are indeed of the house of Christ. Look at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14. For we are made partakers of Christ. If we hold the beginning of our confidence, steadfast unto the end. Who is going to walk in this place of being a partaker with Christ, except only the one who holds and walks in confidence? That word partaker in the Greek is metokos, and it means to be a partner. When we are holding the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end, we know that we are a partner with Christ, a partner with God the Father, and a partner with the Holy Spirit. A partaker means a partner. And who is going to be a partner with God except those who have confidence towards God? You know, it's amazing to me the two different languages that are present at church and the other one that is present at home. I'll say that again. It's amazing to me the two different languages that are present at church and the other one that is present at home. The one at church proclaims that you're blessed, walking in blessing, knows exactly what to say, knows exactly what to do in that language when you're at church. But then there's another language at home that states you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. And you're wondering if there will ever be a day when you're going to be able to get free of that which has come against you or that which is tormenting you. That language at home that speaks things like, I can't. I can't get this. I can't do this. You see, there's a barometer that reveals whether or not you're walking in assurance of truth. You know what it's called? It's called self-talk. The things that you say, the things that you think, the things that you do by yourself, it determines the level of assurance that you walk in in your self-talk. Many of us know the right things to say. Many of us know not, not what to say. But what determines the level of assurance that you are walking in is the things that you say to yourself. The level of negativity that you have by yourself. The things that you say about yourself when you're all alone. The things that you say when you're by yourself. Things like, will never work. I've done this before. It's not going to work. I'm tired of praying. I can't get it. I can't receive it. God, where are you? God is not on my side. Here's a good one. I'm stupid and ignorant. 
I'm never going to get out of this mess. What are all these things saying? It's your heart condemning you. And you have to change those things at heart level. That's the reason why your mind has to be renewed. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What a powerful truth, church. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you and praise you today for your word, and thank you for the opportunity to stand on that word. Thank you, Lord, as that word touches our hearts, that we may have eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to perceive, that we may walk in that truth and we begin to know that when our heart condemns us, there is one greater than our heart, and that is God. This is D.K. Goldblatt's Rock Solid Truth with the Rock Solid Truth broadcast. Go with God, and he will surely go with you.